please turn your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Uh, very end, we're going to look at verses 13 through 19 this morning, but we're doing a series called Simplify, and the idea of the series is typically about this time of the year, we typically feel a little overwhelmed, right? The kids might be going back to school, it might be we started a new job, it might be there's just lots of different things, and we have this tendency to kind of add to what we're doing. We add and we add and we add, and eventually we start feeling like this feeling of like just being overwhelmed and stressed and and so what we want to do is just have a season, about four weeks, where we say, all right, what is it that I can simplify? What are the things on my plate that I need to just get off so that, I, so that I can kind of function better, so that things can kind of go smoother? And honestly, I'm just doing too much. I've got to kind of throttle back. I've got to kind of take some things off. While at the same time, there's certain things you don't want to take off or that you may need to add on that have gotten out of balance. So, so we're saying there are some essential things in your life that as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, that you should have. You need to have these things. So whatever it is you take off the plate, make sure that these things don't move off the plate. So first thing we looked at last week was Bible study. We need to have a regular uh, sit-down time with the Lord where we spend time with Him. We open up His Word. We read it. That's a, it's very critically important to a believer to have that time. And I encourage you, if you don't, just start. Right? And I, and I kind of gave you some, some, uh, some, some suggestions and things. And so if you happen to miss that, there's a QR code on the back of your pew. You can scan that. Uh, or you can go to my website, and the notes are there. So you can kind of go and catch up if you need to. Today, we're going to look at this idea of prayer. And if you, go, if you look at the Old Testament, all the way through the end of the New Testament, prayer is one of those things that goes all the way through the entire Bible. If you're a follower of God, if you put your faith in God, prayer is just one of those things that you see way at the beginning in Genesis, and you see it in Revelation. It just goes all the way through. It's not like the church had to start, and then we started praying or had prayer meetings. That, that happened way before the church even came into existence. So prayer is one of those essential things that we do as a believer. We're going to look in James chapter 5, and, uh, and, and he is finishing out, of course, his five chapters. So he's finishing out the book of James, and you're getting to the very end. He's, he's giving us his final remarks on, uh, to the church. The church, during this time that James is writing, is being heavily persecuted. And so they, he is responding back. He's writing them uh, some things and suggestions, and he ends on this idea of prayer. It's like, so he's talked about several things throughout the book, but he spends this last couple of moments. I want you to remember this. These are his last words to them is on prayer. And he's talking about when life is good, you need to pray. When life is bad, you need to pray. And when you're sick, you need to pray. And when you're, uh, people you know are sick, you need to pray. And uh, when a believer is in sin, you need to pray. And when you are in sin, you need to pray. So all these things we're going to see is that it's a common, essential part of our walk with the Lord. So before we jump into the text, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the privilege of being here in your house this morning. We thank you for your word, that it's true, that we could take it and apply it to our lives. Lord, we thank you. We love, the, we love your word, and Lord, we want to be faithful to study it. And Lord, also just having a conversation with you, talking with you about things that are weighing heavy on our hearts, things that, uh, that we are thinking about, Lord, things that you have brought uh, through your Holy Spirit for us to be considering. So Lord, all these things... We just thank you for the privilege of being able to come before you and to pray. Help us to be faithful to that this morning. Help us to understand what that means. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so first thing we're going to look at in James chapter 5, starting in verse 13, is life happens, y'all. Life happens, right? Uh, and sometimes that is not good. And so we have to respond to it, right? And so James is going to say, listen, life for them at this time is not very good. Uh, consider these things as you begin to interact and go into life. So it's my response to life. And we're going to see is our response is to pray and to praise. Let's look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So it says, so the first thing we're going to look at is this idea of suffering. If you are suffering. Uh, it says, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. And the word suffering here does not necessarily refer to bodily illnesses, like you've got some kind of physical ailment. It's, it rather means adversity or suffering hardship. Uh, it does, it's the stress of this strenuous circumstance that begins to take its effect upon you. All right, it's like you have an incredibly stressful job and you carry that weight day after day after day, and eventually it begins to affect you. Uh, it could be an illness, it could be, but that actually is referenced a little bit later. It could also be just a reference to uh, being persecuted by uh, other people. And so we have the church here that's being persecuted. So it's if this idea of suffering, this carrying a weight that is beginning to just grind on you and it's affecting you. So what's the first thing that we do or say when that hardship, that stress, and that adversity comes our way? Uh, typically, uh, if you are anything like me, you typically have a default thing that you do. Whatever that default thing is, oh, I'm feeling incredibly stressed, we go into a default mode, right? And it could be a lots of different things that people do. Some people tend to overeat, some people tend to overwork, some people tend to do all kinds of things. What he's saying here is when you feel that pressure and you begin to go, before you enter into that default mode that you normally do, pray, right? Pray. So if, we're, if we are the person, person suffering, we're told to pray, but not just one time. The word that's given here is ongoing. So it's not like, oh, Lord, I feel stressed about the situation. You pray for a couple of minutes, and then you roll on. The word that's given here is an ongoing prayer. So it's, it's not that you have to stop and just pray all the time, like when you close your eyes and be still. It's this sense of I'm, I am talking with the Lord about this situation. I'm spending time and in interacting with him about it. You're praying about it. So it's good to talk with God uh, because when we do, when we spend time with him, it affects us. It affects us. Our worry tends to disappear as we enter into the presence of the Lord. If we are genuinely praying and spending time with him, whatever that problem is, we compare it to him. He is almighty. He's all-powerful. His word is true. He is faithful. Uh, the, the, the stress begins to go away. The situation doesn't go away, but the stress and its effect upon us begins to go away. So what should I pray for? Right? So there's going to be these times when you're so stressed, you're so suffering that you may not even know what to pray for or you may not even know what to say. Like, so look, I'm feeling this incredible situation in my life right now, but I, and, I'm, and I know I need to pray, but I just don't know what to say. So Oftentimes, we just want the hardship or the suffering to end. We just want it to stop. And so that's kind of our prayer. Lord, please stop this. Let this stop in my life. And what we see is sometimes, like for example, in the, when Paul, the apostle, prayed, he had this thorn in his flesh. He's like, Lord, let this thorn in my flesh go away. 
but it didn't go away. And then you have the example of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? He's, he's kneeling down. He's, he's, about, he's, he's about to go to the cross. He knows what the crucifixion is going to entail. He is literally sweating sweat drops of blood. It's incredibly stressful. He says, Lord, make this cup pass for me. And it doesn't. Right? And so there's going to be life situations that we find ourselves in that that's just where you are. That is just life for you right now. Uh, you may say, well, I have this thing that's going on, and you could pray for it, but it's not necessarily just going to go away. So what do I say? How do I, how do I pray for these things then? First off, I would encourage you to pray for wisdom. James 1.5 tells us that if we go and we ask for wisdom, he'll give it to us. Because as you are going through this time in your life, this stress, there's going to be people watching you right? Your kids are going to be watching you. Your spouse is going to be watching you. The people at work are going to be watching you. Your neighbors are going to be watching you. They're going to know what's going on. They're going to know the stress that you're carrying. You need to say, Lord, give me wisdom on how to handle this. How am I going to go through this? Because I need wisdom because the world is watching. You may also need to pray for endurance, right? You've got to keep going. Stress and suffering will, over time, take its toll on your spirit, on your body, on your health. And so you pray, Lord, give me endurance to continue in this trial, in this, in this suffering, in this time in which I have to go through. Just give me the strength to stand up under it. You may also uh, read and study the Word of God like we talked about last week. As you read it, as you study it, you take God's Word, you pray it back to Him. So, Drew, I don't know what to say. It's, 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 I'm going through this thing. You open up the Word of God and you say, Lord, you've said this, and you just pray it back to Him. Lord, you've to I've, I've seen this story about Samuel or whoever, and Lord, I, and you just pray it back to Him. You just pray it back. Lord, this is what I see. This is what I'm just saying. All right? So that's when times are hard. What about when times are great? What about when you're smiling and things are just wonderful? That's usually, is it not, when we typically tend to stop praying, right? So we're going to pray, oh, Lord, let this thing get off of me. Lord, let me, give me, let me get through this. But then suddenly the clouds open up and things are sunny and we've got plenty of money and everything's wonderful. Then we're like, okay, I'm good. And you stop communicating with God. You stop praying. Well, what does Paul say? He says, if anyone's cheerful, let him sing praise. So James starts with someone being low, then he turns to someone in a mood of being cheerful. And so how then should we respond when things are good and delightful and overall calm? Prayer and praise are the Christian's emotional outlet. So prayer and praise is how you get that stuff out, right? So you're carrying the weight, you're going through the stress, you pray, you get it out. You are uh, excited, you're joyful, you're all God's doing these great things, you sing, you praise the Lord. Right? And you praise him. You, that's a form of prayer. Uh, so uh, when we are troubled, we pray. When we're cheerful, we sing. And we also should avoid the temptation to pray when things are good. So, and then the next thing that we look at. So in prayer, what do we pray when we're sick? How do we do that? So let's look at it. Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith who will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven so if the person is sick they are to call for the elders which is plural of the church and this is already the Jewish custom during this time that the town elders would be called in on someone who would be sick and, the, and they would pray over the person but the emphasis is on the praying not the healing Right, so it's not like call them in so that you will be healed. It's call them in so that you may pray together. 
It continues this theme of, of these verses that we see earlier and throughout the chapter. So the same verse for anointing with oil. When they say, bring the elders in and let them anoint the sick person with oil is the same phrase that we see with uh, the Good Samaritan. When the Good Samaritan is going and he finds the man that's beaten up along the road, look what it says in Luke chapter 10. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So he took olive oil, he took oil and, and anointed him. And it was believed there in that time to have medicinal purposes. And so this idea of let the elders come and let them address the issue of trying to help. So there's a lot of misunderstanding about this verse, this idea of anointing with oil that you could be healed. Uh, in the Catholic belief, they believe in the extreme unction. And this is the idea of preparing a person for death, right? So call in the elders, anoint them with oil to prepare them for death is the idea. But this passage... This text here is the idea of someone who's going to live, right? They've, it's, they've, they're suffering in some way. They're hurting in some way. They're in pain. They are sick in some way. Well, how do we help them to continue on? So uh, there are no miracle healers. I'm just telling you. There's no one that you're going to be able to call or send them some money over the telephone that they can lay a cloth on a TV. There, there is no, that is not real. That does not exist. This idea of a miracle healer. That, that we could bring in and have a miracle healing session where you could bring in your loved one in their wheelchair and they could lay hands on them and they would be... That is not real. That's not what this is talking about. Um, it is also not a mandate not to call the doctor. Right? So you just, if you're sick, then we'll just call in Pastor Drew and, and Seth and, and uh, the leaders of the church and, we'll all, and they'll, they'll put oil on us and we'll be healed. That's not, again, what the text is talking about. Uh, it's not a mandate not to seek medical attention. Um, so why does James mention not going to a doctor, right? So you've got, you've got the text. Why don't he just say, if any of you are sick, then let him go to the doctor. This is where it's needful to be mindful of, of what's going on in the New Testament or the New Testament context. So doctors were few in those days. Uh, their knowledge was fairly limited, and they were very expensive. And so if you had the money, like think of the woman that, was, that had the blood issue, right? So she, the text actually says that she had spent all of her money and had, had consulted multiple doctors, and it was to no avail. It did her no good. And then she, of course, touched the hem of Jesus' garment, right? So, but you have this, this example of during this time that doctors were not very effective. And so to the sick Christian today... You're going to call the doctor because those things are not true anymore. But you're also going to call uh, the elders of the church, the leaders of the church. It's, it's not an either or. It's either you go to the doctor or you call Pastor Drew. No, it's both and, right? So it's I'm going to go seek medical attention and I'm also going to pray. Because uh, it's, a, it's a whole body. We are, we are made up of a soul, of a mind, of a body, all of that. So all of these things are affected when we go through these trials and suffering. So the spirit, the mind, the body, one unit. We all need healing. And all are affected by our sin. All are affected by our repentance. All of, the, all of those things are affected by how we relate with other people. Like, so, so how our whole body experience is, is mentioned here. So while there may be lots to, to discuss about this idea of anointing with oil and all of that, the basic idea is that you surround yourself with leaders who come and they, and they deal with the wounds that you have. They help you through 
those times. And they're praying for you. And so the question is, why would the elders come versus people from their uh, Sunday school class or their grow group? Like, why, why not just call fellow Christians as opposed to the elders? Why the elders of the church and not just other Christians to come and to pray? So this text, I'm just going to be honest with you, is somewhat difficult to interpret. So I'm going to give you the Drew Boswell version of what I think is going on in this text. Okay, so I'm just telling you that, that I'm kind of stepping off a little bit and just saying this is what I think is going on and here's why I kind of think that. So the book was written to the persecuted church, right? So you've got this idea of the church, and it's hard for our minds to get wrapped around this idea of what it's like for the church that's persecuted, because we're so far from being persecuted. But imagine having a business, right? You've gone into a town, you've built a business, you've got a little storefront, and, and, and people from the town come in because you're a Christian, they just flat out, that's why we're going to do this, and they burn it to the ground. Right? And so, or you, you have a family and you've got a little house outside of town and everybody discovers that you're Christian so they all rush in and they pull you out and they beat you just, just for that reason. That's it. That's the only reason. And so then you have to move from this town to this other town and you have to rebuild. You have to rebuild everything. You have to rebuild a house. You have to rebuild a business. You have to do all of these things. And as soon as that happens, it happens again. And then it happens again because you're a Christian. And so... They were beaten, they were, many of them were slaves, they're still living under persecution. And so this person is now gravely ill. One of their group is now gravely ill. And so what do you do? There's going to be this stress, abuse, persecution. And they're going to be asking, why is this happening to me? Why is God doing this to me? Why is God allowing this to happen to me? Why, why? they're going to be asking those deep questions about life right when you go through like true stress right that's where God takes you to the point where you really start asking the real questions if everything is wonderful and everything is like fantastic rarely do we start doing the deep dive into the what's really like what's the real questions of life and so this person is here and they're and they're asking these questions and so the elders are going to come and they're going to with appropriate touch right rub the the oil on the wounds they're going to they're going to bind up what's going on there they're going to show care and concern they're going to share scripture with them and they're going to pray with them as they are working through probably the most horrible time of their life right you're they're you're shepherding you're walking through this time of their life which is probably the hardest thing they've ever have to, have had to endure I think that's why that God would say, look, you're going to be having to go through some deep stuff. Let's pull in the most mature Christians, the elders and leaders of the, of the church, and let them walk you through this uh, as you go through this. Also, I don't, I, this is a very important thing, I think, as part of this passage as well, is that Jesus, uh, part of his, his, his ministry was healing. Right? That, was, that was to show who he was, that was to show that he was the uh, Messiah, was that he preached and then he performed a miracle to show uh, the fact that he is who he says that he was. Now look, in Jesus' healing ministry, he often touched those who were sick. He touched the hand of Peter's wife's mother and the fever left her in Matthew 8. Uh, there were two men blind that when they called out to him to have mercy, he said, do you believe that I am able to do this? And to their reply, they said, yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be healed. That's in Matthew 9. He touched the tongue of the deaf mute in Mark 7. He touched the ear of Malchus in Luke 22 after Peter cut it off, right? He preached it up, he touched him, he healed it. 
He touched the leper, made him heal, uh, clean in Luke 15. In none of these cases, Jesus did not have to touch them. He could easily just have said, be healed, and they would have been healed. But he intentionally touched them. And so there is a powerful thing that happens with touch. Appropriate touch, right, is, is it's between, between two people. One is hurting their, they've been, you've got someone that's coming along beside them and helping them to bind up those wounds, to hold their hand, to pray with them and say, look. And they walk through, Jesus is with us. And they share scripture, God is faithful. And here's a passage that shows that. Uh, God's been faithful to you in the past, he'll be faithful now. And, and you just, you're walking them through this time, and it involves touch. And so, and then it says, well, if the person has sinned in some way. So now you've got a person that, is in, that has been injured or, or is ill that seems, could, could also be as a result of a sin that they have done. Right? So there's a consequence of a sin that they've done. It's related to, it could be related to how they reacted to the stress. Right? Again, if you've got a person that's under an incredible amount of stress, their family is in danger, their business is in danger, their house is in danger, all of these things, uh, how do I handle That's a lot of pressure to carry for a Christian during this persecuted time. Some of them may not have made the best decisions. Right? And so they could have lost their temper. They could have gotten into a fight. They could have, uh, they could have uh, gotten into an argument or a discussion with another Christian within their community, their, their church. There's a whole lot of ways they could have sinned, uh, done something wrong in reaction to all of this weight that they're carrying. And so they need help in navigating back to God. Right? So I, I lost, I've, I've, I've sinned in this way. And I need help. I, there's a consequence that I'm now having to live with. I'm sick in some way because of this consequence. I'm having to carry this weight, call in the elders. They come in and they pray with them and they bind up their wounds and they walk through this together. All right, so the, best, the, the result of these elders coming in is twofold. We see that the sick person is made well and the Lord is going to raise them up. They're restored back. All right, so that's, that's, so life happens, and then we pray in response to life. How does God respond to our prayers? All right, so God's response to our prayers in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray to one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. And so whenever you see the word therefore, right, so you've got da-da-da-da-da, therefore, something has come before that that helps us understand what's about to happen. So the therefore is tied to what has come before. We are to pray when we're suffering. We're to pray when we're cheerful. We're to surround ourselves with, fe uh, with fellow Christians while we're ill who are also going to pray for us. So in that context, therefore, therefore, and so we, in order to confess our sins this is the idea so if they've sinned then confess it in order for a person to confess their sin to a group of people there has to be a high level of love and a high level of trust if I don't trust you and if I know you don't love me then I am not about to reveal and share and, and ask for forgiveness so I'm not I'm just I'm just not going to do that but if a person knows that they're loved if they know that there's uh, um, 
uh, trust there, then they will do that. And that's kind of what's going on in, this, in the text here. Is that you've, got a group, you've got a church that's going through uh, persecution together. Uh, some of them have sinned. They've done some things that, in reaction to this incredible stress. And so now they need to come and they need to kind of make that right. I need to make that right with my other brothers and sisters within the church. And so look at Matthew 5, 23. It says, if, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Right, so you come to church, you've presented an offering to the Lord, and then you remember, oh, so-and-so is mad at me. Not that you're mad at them, but I know that they're mad at me. Leave your gift there. You just leave it at the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. This idea of right relationships between believers within a church is incredibly important because it, it affects your offering, it affects how your worship, it affects how you relate to the Lord, all of these things. If, if the Lord hears your prayers, if the Lord answers your prayer, all these things are incredibly important. And so the power of a righteous person is focused here on the interaction with other people. How am I relating with the other people within my church? A righteous person is asking forgiveness for sins from others publicly that they have wronged. The prayer of a righteous person availeth much. The idea of, I have sinned and wronged uh, against you, I'm trying to make that right, and I'm confessing that to you. We're trying to restore the relationship. They're asking, they're praying for the sick, they're praying for believers, and there's a great amount of, that's going into the praying this has been one of those things I think I've been reminded of with us as a church is that when we gather to pray we typically tend to focus on what sick right so-and-so's sick they're, they're having surgery on Tuesday uh, so-and-so's whatever right that's just typical for a prayer meeting but what you see here is that that that's part of prayer meeting but then there's also this idea of people saying and Joe or Bill or Sammy or whoever uh, I know our relationship's not right, and I feel like I may have done this to cause this to be this way, and so I'm just saying in front of everybody, would you please forgive me for that? Now, who would do that, right? Who would do that? Uh, it, it's, uh, it's someone who knows that they are loved, and it's someone that has a trusting, that I can trust these people right here, all right? And so uh, that should also be a part of what goes on when you gather together as the church is you've got this, this idea of praying, but the prayer is a, a restoration of relationships. All right, so in the original language of James, it reads, pray to prayer to pray. Uh, and, and the idea, uh, the old timers in the church would say gaining access was a way to think about it. But also, but there's, there's this difference of just saying a prayer and in being really in prayer. Right, this idea of like where Jacob was wrestling with the Lord in the wilderness, it's that idea of like, uh, nope, I'm not going to, I'm going to wrestle with God. I'm going to intentionally put forth an, a, uh, an amount of effort here. There is some thought and some emotion that's being engaged. I'm not just spouting off some recited prayer that I have memorized. No, it's, this is a genuine conversation that I'm having with the Lord. I'm wrestling with him about this, this idea. James gives the example of Elijah in 1 Kings, right? So the, the, in 1 Kings chapter 18, when you pray, be like Elijah, is what he's saying, right? So when you pray, remember Elijah in the Old Testament. In, Elijah, in verse 18, chapter 18, verse 42, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself on the earth, and he put his face between his knees, 
And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and he said, there's nothing. And he said, go again. And seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. All right, so, uh, so Elijah's gone and he's prayed. And he's prayed again. And he's prayed some more. And he's prayed. He didn't just like, Lord, please let it stop raining. Or Lord, please let it rain. And let that be it. There's a wrestling, an intentional, ongoing prayer that's going on here. And then he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain should stop you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be so much rain, you're not going to be able to drive your chariot anymore. There's that much rain that's coming from this little cloud that's starting to form. Elijah had weaknesses just like everybody else. So what he's saying is like, He's got the nature, like nature, Elijah had a, a human nature just like the rest of us, with a nature like ours, it says. And so James is emphasizing Elijah's effort and why God sent the rain when he asked. He sent it because Elijah was ongoing. He kept praying. And so the same man who, who is mentioned in 1 Kings 18, a man, a righteous man of prayer, right? That's Elijah, and he's praying, he's doing all these things. In 18, one chapter later, in chapter 19, he runs away from Jezebel, right? He, he runs away in fear, and he ends up uh, laying underneath this broom tree saying, God, just kill me now. It's all over. I don't want to do this anymore, right? And so you've got this man who's just like the rest of us. He's up and he's down. He, he's really great one day, and he's not so hot the next day. A guy like Elijah, just like one of us, follow his example. That's what James is saying. And he's, what he's emphasizing is that Elijah did not want a magical performance of a superhuman being, but the act of a man in all regards exactly just like us. Here's the thing. Elijah dared to take God at his word. How many of us today dare to just, God's word says this, and I'm going to step out and do what he said. I'm going to dare to pray in such a way that is described here in the Bible. I'm just, just like Elijah, I'm going to dare to do that and see what happens. So Elijah's prayers resulted in the refreshing rain that came down from the earth. And this prayer of a righteous believer can result in the resulting in healing of a Christian who's afflicted by sickness or by sin. You just pray and you pray and God will, it will affect them. Thirdly, now you've talked about uh, how I'm going to deal with life and how life kind of, and I need to be praying and, and, and praising and these different things. And then you've got God's reaction to our prayer. If you're faithful and resilient, and God will respond to that. And then the third thing that we see is that what if there's a believer, someone within our lives, who has now wandered away from the Lord? They're not where they need to be. They've sinned in some way. What do you do with that? What do you do with a wandering sin, a wandering person away from the faith? Let's see what it says. Verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is how the book ends. It's with restoration. This, this is the last part of this, of this book. This is how it ends. And so the last verse of the book of James deals with a brother in Christ who has wandered from the truth. They have believed the lie that the world... And it has enticed them away. You will see this in, within your church family. You will see this within other believers. Is that they, are, they have put their faith in the Lord. They've been in your class forever. How long? They've, they've, they've said, I believe in the Lord. And then the world 
pulls them away. It begins to, uh, it tempts them in some way or whatever. And they're like, you know what? I think I'm going to just kind of go do this. They've wandered away. And so we are to go and, and seek them out and try to pull them back. And we believe the world. And the Greek word for wanders here is the picture of a, of a person who's up in the mountains, right? And the clear trail says, go this way. And they've come to the crossroads, right? The clear trail says, go this way. And they just, they, it's like they don't see it. They just wander off. And so now they're lost somewhere up there in the mountains. And they're going to die. They're going to they're starve to death. They're going to freeze to death. Somebody's got to go get them. They've got to go find them. And that's, that's the picture that we get here is that they wandered off. And now we've got to go seek them out and find them to get them back on the path, get them back going in the right direction. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So you've gone out, you've found this person. How do we cover their sins? What do we do with this? This last verse speaks of a going after someone who's gone astray because you love them. You say love for them. Not in judgment, not in spite, or to show them that you're right. See, I showed you I'm, I'm right here. You're wrong. Let me, let me argue you to death. That's not the point of what James is saying here. It's like they wandered away. If they continue to go in this direction, they're going to suffer. This, this is not going to be good for them. They're, they're going, this, is, this is going to cause pain and suffering for them. You love them enough to go after them. All right, so this, the verse is not saying to accept the person's sins or flaws. You're not, you're not, you recognize that they're in danger. You go up, you, go, you seek to bring them back. You get them right on the right path, but you're not going to just say what you're doing is right. right you know, we're not accepting your sin. But when the person repents, the love for them is going to give you the ability to see past these previous mistakes. And so if we ever were to have a person within our church that were to wander away, and we would say, uh, this is not good. And one of us were to go and seek them out and bring them back. Then we don't put a scarlet letter on their chest or on their arm and say, that's the guy. Remember that guy? That's the guy that went off and did this and this and this. Remember that? Remember that? In that, in that, in that, yeah, that's that guy right there. We don't do that. Right? We don't do that. So once the person has come back, those, the love covers a multitude of sins. The, it's, it's forgotten. Just like the Lord forgotten it, we've forgotten it. Proverbs 24, 24 says, Whoever says to the wicked, you are right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. So again, you're holding the line on what is true and what is not true, what is good and what is not good. But at the same time, you're seeking to bring them back. The church is not, as you know, a country club. It's not a fraternity. It's not a sorority. It's not Kiwanis, Right? Uh, it is uh, membership is based on one condition, right? And that condition is that everyone calls himself a Christian must also hold to this idea of repentance. It's like we have all repented of our sin and put our faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you have a person who's out here blatantly going, I'm not going to do what God's word says. I am not going to follow his word. I'm going to just do my own thing. Then we, we kind of go, okay, that's not right. Right? We're going to hold you accountable to that. We love you. You're going to be welcome. But at the same time, we're going to recognize that's not right. That's not what God's word says. We're going to rebuke the activity. And we repent of our sin. This is the, the thing that we hold in common. Is that I have said I am a sinner. I have turned from my sin. And now I'm seeking to follow Christ. 
2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what we do. Our job is the ministry of reconciliation. We go out into the world, we share the gospel, we, we show them how to, to have a relationship with God, which is repentance and accepting of Christ, and they are reconciled back to God, and we get to be a part of that. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That's what we do. That's what the church does. That's our, that's our thing, right? We say Bellevue Baptist Church exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we do. That's why we exist. And so we have this ministry of reconciliation. So this life is filled with pain and suffering and many times is the result of the consequences of our own sins. Sometimes it's the result of other people's sins that, that, that have caused us pain and suffering. But either way, we deal with it by praying, by being together, by helping to bind each other's wounds. And James presents the joy of, of the winner of souls who throws this this mantle of love over the sin of the repentant sinners. The same idea of the father when, he, when the uh, uh, prodigal son comes home, right? He comes home, the dad gets out the fat, kills the fatty calf and he gets the ring and he puts the sandals on his feet and he puts the robe on him. That's the joy that dad gets to do there. And when you have a person that comes in and they're like, you know, I live for myself, I was going after the world, but then I gave my heart to Christ and then I repented of my sin and we get the joy, we, we experience that joy together because that's what we've all done together. The joy of reconciliation. If, you, if a person gets saved, right, they come down here, they get saved, or you may see them following believer's baptism, and that doesn't bring you like excitement and joy, I need you to go back and take a heart check on that one because you, that's a joy of we get to see a person saved. They're not going to eternity, they're going to be eternally separated from God forever right there they've made a huge step in their life to follow the Lord that should give us joy because we've been there right I remember back in my life when I was in that same spot and I repented and turned from my sin and now the Lord has given me this ministry of reconciliation I get to be a part of with all these other believers and so when that works and someone comes in there's joy do you have that joy that's the idea that James leaves us with is this mission and this idea of joy. So let me, let me pray with us. I'll close this out. Lord, we thank you for uh, James and his teaching here on prayer. Lord, I pray this morning that as we go about through our rest of our day and, and, the, and this week till we are able to gather again together, that we will be in your word, reading it, studying it, making notes on it, talking with other believers about what we've read and discovered and the joy that comes through that. Lord, also, as we are doing that, we'll be praying, that we'll be praying in good times and bad times and hard times. And there might be someone in our life that may be suffering and we need to pray for them. We may even need to go to them and help them bind up those wounds, whatever they might be. And Lord, I just pray that, uh, that you will also renew within us a sense of this ministry of reconciliation, the joy that comes. So when we sing your praises on Sunday morning and we sing of all the things that you have done, there's joy there because we are a part of helping other people come to know you. We don't do it in judgment because, Lord, we all know that we are just a, a beggar who knows where the food is. And, Lord, you've just shown us that we get the privilege of being able to go and share that with somebody else. So, Lord, I pray this, this morning and as we go out, that you would just remind us of that as we encounter people. 
We pray this in Jesus' name.